Shopify Masters is powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. So they make parts and pieces all across the country, and then they ship individual sub-assemblies to our fab shop in North Carolina, and we assemble everything there. Hey, my name is Felix. I'm the host of Shopify Masters. Each week, we learn the keys to success from e-commerce experts and entrepreneurs like you. In this episode, you'll learn how these entrepreneurs determine which product to sell, how to onboard new employees and contractors, and how to encourage customer reviews of your products. Today, I'm joined by Cameron Cruz and Lisa Bradley from R Riveter. R Riveter employs military spouses to make handmade leather and canvas handbags and was started in 2011 and based out of Southern Pines, North Carolina. Welcome, Cameron and Lisa. Hi, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, excited to have the both of you on. So tell us a little bit more about the your, your companies, particularly like what are some of the, the most popular products that, that you sell? Our most popular style at R Riveter is the auto handbag. And I think that is because of the style and function and size. Awesome. So the I, I introduced the both of you and talk about talk about the background a little bit. Can you explain a little bit more about the cause and the the, the idea behind this business? For sure. Yeah. the The reason why we started the company was really twofold. Um, as military spouses, we became very good friends over the shared hardship of not being able to find employment uh, as military spouses. So the the first issue is moving every two to three years and the interviews and the job search could be so difficult. You just see employers taking your resumes and just putting them on the bottom of the pile because they don't want to hire you because you know, they know that you're just going to be leaving. And then the second part about it, about being a military spouse is with those constant moves, just how difficult it can be to, to have a sense of identity when you have new friends, new employers, you just kind of feel yourself not knowing really who you are anymore. And so that was one of the big reasons why Cameron and I wanted to start this company is to create a sense of community for military spouses, create mobile flexible income, and and just be a a source of positive force for the military community. Mm, makes sense. So was this the first business for the both of you or have you started businesses in the past? This was our first venture. Funny enough, it was my first job completely out of college and one of Lisa's, I mean, my first real job. And then Lisa had only had a couple of jobs before that, just moving around with the military so much. I think Lisa had moved six times um, at the time that we had started the company. So we just jumped in with both feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it must have been a ton of learning then along the way of figuring out what you didn't know and figuring out how, how to learn those skills to operate a business. What, what were some of the, the key things that, that you found most helpful early on to, to learn? Well, just to kind of go through a few, a few of them, you know, we didn't even, when we decided to start the company, it was the, the why and we formulated the business idea of eventually having a national network of military spouses that would be located across the country near military posts and bases and that they could make the subassemblies of the, the product that we decide on so that they would have mobile flexible income. And so early on when it was just Cameron and I in the attic, we didn't even know what product we were going to make. And we eventually settled on handbags because they're, they're such a great representation of a customer choosing something to carry with them every day. And we also needed a product that had quite a few parts and pieces to it so that it would support the business model. And so some of the early learning curves were 
literally how to make a handbag. We've never done that before. So mm-hmm. we were we were in the attic going through prototyping and figuring out the different ways that we can assemble a handbag. And it's just trial and error at every, at every turn for sure. Mm-hmm. I think learning too, as an entrepreneur, it never stops. So, I mean, it was like a floodgate back then and it's a floodgate today. I think at every stage of your business, there's always something to learn and something else to conquer. So I don't, you know, it was definitely intense early on, but I don't think it's ever slowed down. Right. So it sounds like one of the very first exercises, first things you needed to learn how to do was to discover a product, right? Because like you're saying, you had this cause, you had this idea for wanting to start a business, but no product yet. I think that's a situation a lot of entrepreneurs find themselves in that they are motivated and passionate to to create some kind of life for themselves, but then they're now stuck at this big void of where, which direction should I go? Talk to us about that process that, that you walk through to settle ultimately on handbags. What other products did you find along the way? And talk to us a little bit more about the criteria that you looked at to to say, you know what, handbags is the right choice for our business. So what's funny about that is when we first started our Riveter, there were probably 10 different directions. We were taking the company all at one time. We were going to make and sell handbags. Military spouses were going to make and sell handbags. You know, it was custom business. There was limited edition involved, which we were upcycling recycled military materials to make handbags. We were selling, um, you know, new material handbags. So there was so much that we were doing all at one time. And in the last five years, I think what we've gotten really good at is paring down to make, be really good at, at one thing and not overextend ourselves. So I think, you know, yeah, and we, we actually didn't have any other products that we were even prototyping prior to handbags. We we knew that a handbag is something that a, a person chooses every day to, to carry. Mm-hmm. And it's somewhat like their chosen skin. It's the, the brand, the style that they are choosing to represent themselves. And our customers, when we first started, are the same as the customers of today. That the reason why our, our handbags are successful is because that individual knows what their purchasing power is going towards. It's going towards a community of military spouses and empowering them every day. Mm-hmm. And this this uh, concept of paring down, I think, is another challenge that a lot of entrepreneurs have a little bit further along in their business, or maybe even from the beginning where they're being pulled in so many directions, there's just so much opportunity in their heads that they want to pursue. Uh, but it sounds like you're recognizing that the more you focus, the more you pare down, the more successful you become. Talk to us about that. Like, how do you, how do you decide what you should be focusing your your time on? Right. Well, it's, it's a natural progression. I think just from trial and error to to really honing a skill, all the way from product development to building a team. When it was just Cameron and I in the attic, we were doing everything for the business, from customer service to sewing. Um, I quickly got fired from sewing early on and that was probably one of the best things that that happened for us was early on deciding what paths we Cameron and I were going to each take towards growing this business and and then you soon realize that at every turn you become the bottleneck in the company and that's when it it's important to know when the right time is to bring on team members it's you can do anything but you can't do everything and so we always try to remember you know growth Growth takes that that risk to to know when is the right time to expand. 
what do you pay attention to, to, to recognize that, that, you know, that you are the bottleneck and it's better for you to hire someone or assign this particular task to someone else so that you can focus on something else and, you know, have the other person essentially do it better than you can. How do, how do you recognize that a task or a particular, you know, job is something that you should hand off? Well, I think it's constantly looking at your, ability to complete a task in a timely manner and make sure that the, that you're not becoming what's holding things up. Um, and then that has to be balanced with cash planning. And if you can afford to bring on more people and it, it's just very important that you know, that that's something you can do because once it's beyond you and your co-founder, like your people's people are then relying on you for, for an income, uh, for a daily place in a community. And so it's, it's really important to take those next steps wisely, but mm-hmm. that's truly when you can start growing. Got it. So yeah, this is a skill that any entrepreneur needs to learn from their first hire to you know their 10th, 100th hire. And I'm sure that you're learning a ton going through this process over and over again. So how do you offboard a task and onboard someone else? Like what's, what have you found as an effective way to essentially transition a task without you know, dropping any balls? I think one of the ways that I've found, especially when you work with somebody and you bring them onto a team and they're connecting really well, is just to give clear guidance about what the end state that you expect is. So clear guidance, clear end state and any parameters involved. And as long as you do that and give the perfect, give really good expectations for what the end state is, you know, let them kind of figure that out along the way and then be constantly checking in. But I think for me, it's always about drawing that in state for them and then letting them find their own style and own path in that. Right. And I think anybody that joins a small business kind of has an entrepreneurial heart and joining a small business is risky and you probably have to know how to wear many hats. And so those key people early on and, and, many of which are still with us today, they, they started with, with many wide tasks. And then as we started to grow, we saw what their, their best skill sets were and what things they truly enjoyed doing. And then they took that role in, in more of a, a wider and deep area. And then we opened up those other tasks to someone else. And it's just kind of this beautiful thing of, of eventually you've got people doing specific things and they're able to do them more fully and more, more aptly when, mm-hmm. when you start to grow. How, how large is the, the team today? We have 34 employees and a little over 30 independent contractors all across the country. That's amazing. How do you, how, what's the, the hiring process that you go through? How do you find employees for, for, the, for the business, especially since you're looking to employ military spouses? Right, so the kind of a, a mission lock at our riveter is that the, the independent contractors that are the independent military spouses across the country that are, they're making the sub assemblies of our, of our products. So they're sewing the liner, they're sewing the shell, the canvas shell, the handbag, they're cutting the leather. They will remain military spouses. And so we've been so for, fortunate to be able to have our storyline out there that they know that that type of opportunity is available to them. And so we have, hundreds of, of individuals on our website that, that have expressed an interest in becoming what we call a riveter. And so whenever we go through a riveter, uh, bringing on rivers onto the team, that's, that's the first place that we go. Mm-hmm. And then as far as employees go, it's, it's kind of a, 
a, a natural thing of someone knows somebody or we're, we're looking for something specific. So we, we put a, a job listing out. Yeah, we've been fortunate enough too to grow very organically within our own team. So, you know, a lot of our individuals have been able to move up from very, you know, um, beginner jobs, if you will, and kind of move very naturally up into leadership roles. And then, you know, recruiting and hiring an outside um, position is probably one of the most difficult things I feel like an entrepreneur will ever do. And so it takes a lot of time. It shouldn't be underestimated. It can be something that, you know, is there no corner cutting and, and recruiting on, on a team member because, you know, one of my biggest lessons is you hire the, you know, the right person and they can learn the skills, but the right person for a small team is everything. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the production process like? You have, I think you said 30 to 40 uh, contractors that are, they're, they're, these contractors are the ones that are putting together the, the handbags? Yeah, so they make parts and pieces all across the country. And then they ship individual sub-assemblies to our fab shop in North Carolina and we assemble everything there. And so, you know, every riveter who moves from Colorado to Georgia to North Carolina will be able to take their very specific contract with them, no matter where the military takes them. And so they're going to take a very specific job all across the country, sort of providing that community and that mobile flexible income. And then we put everything together in a centralized fab shop. We have about 5,000 square feet where all the assembly and quality control is done. That's very cool. I've never heard of a business that's been able to operate at scale with, you know, 30, 40, uh, essentially manufacturers spread or producers at least spread throughout uh, the country. So what's the process like for managing a team like that? All of the online productivity tools. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, it's, it's interesting that we started out kind of a, a remote company from the very beginning, whereas a lot of companies grow into that with growth. Um, but we, we started off right off the bat, Cameron and I moved apart from each other after six or seven months. And so we just really started to leverage online communication tools such as Skype and Zoom. And I've tried, I think all of them and um, Trello and uh, Office 365. Those are all kind of the tools that we use in order to communicate with with one another and and make sure that we have consistency in, in, in our work and product and be able to, pick up even though we're not in the same room as each other. Mm-hmm. Now I want to talk a little bit about your, the kind of story and the marketing that goes behind your brand. Obviously you have a very clear social cause. And as I was talking about this, a very authentic story. How do you make sure that this is, this is told that, that people know about it? Because, you know, it, it's something that a lot of times your, your brand, people might not reckon, might not understand the story behind it until they come onto the site and read more about it. But what do you do in terms of outreach to make sure people understand or hear more about your story? Right. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, there's so much to our story that um, it's hard to just capture the understanding in a short, quick glance, like some of the, Mm -hmm. some other business models. And a lot of our story is told by the consumer. Um, One of my favorite things that I heard from a customer was I love carrying the Arbiter bag because I want to tell a story. There's, it's a conversation starter. And so we see a lot of, a lot of word of mouth, marketing for our company. And then on our website, we just try to be as as succinct as we can to tell the story. And so that our customers know that manufacturing process. It's 
at our river, it's the journey that the handbag takes from all corners of our country where those parts and pieces are being made by up to 12 military spouses per one product. And then those parts and pieces are coming together in North Carolina to become a, a finalized product. Uh, it's, it's more about just getting an item. It's about the, the whole manufacturing process. Mm. Yeah, that's one of the most important. But that's, this is why it's so important to have a, a cause that your your customers and your market are passionate about because they will be your biggest brand ambassadors. They they want to talk about your your products. They want to talk about your company and the cause behind it. And what about from the from from your side in terms of like PR? What kind of what, what's the strategy there to to for you as a company for you guys as a company to get the word out? Well, as we're as we were growing and, and getting used to the, the model of, of growth, it, it is a three-dimensional chess game for sure. And even even after Shark Tank, we've entirely remained made here in America and with military spouses making our sub-assemblies. And so we've been actually pretty sleepy on finding PR for the company. And we're just now kind of being more proactive about that. But just been extremely fortunate that National media, local media have have been wanting to tell our story. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's a good that's a good uh, I think um, uh, topic. So right because I think a lot of entrepreneurs are at that stage too where they don't have a a you know full blown PR strategy yet, and you, you, you know, your team is just getting started on on that approach. So what have you learned um, you know very early on so far that about the the process of getting PR where you're actively reaching out to to outlets rather than them covering you because they they, they just found about your story themselves what, what have you learned about this process so far of, of outreach yourself well i think it's finding key contacts that know about pr have contacts in pr and and news outlets for sure that's that's one of the the things that we're doing now is finding a, a pr rep we have one mm-hmm. and continuing to to grow in our relationship with her and then also the being far enough out in advance from product launches and other key campaigns that marketing is putting out so that you're able to make sure that if it is going to be newsworthy, that you put it in such a way that it can get out there um, and not just being so short, short-sighted where we're putting things up in such a quick time frame, frame that we weren't even able to take advantage of the PR aspects of it. Got it. So when you when you are looking for a rep, a PR rep, you're looking for one of the most important things to look for someone that has the contacts at the publications, the radio shows, the TV shows that you're interested in getting into. Correct, for sure. That, that's a, a big one, and and knowing what that individual has been able to get other companies in the past, um, that they have a track record of of success there, and then also I think a big part of it is just knowing and them coaching you on on what you should do when you're in an interview and the steps of before and after. And that's been a huge part is instead of just figuring it out, you've got somebody kind of coaching you through, through those aspects. Yeah. So many times as an entrepreneur, you know, you are the story of so many people have kind of helped Lisa and I in this idea that, you know, we are our greatest asset as a, as a PR pitch. And so having a, a PR or firm or somebody that represents you, you know, so many times as a, an entrepreneur, you are also wearing 10 other hats. So you need that person that's going to bat for you, not only to, to get those contacts and to get the shows and the radio and the newspapers, but 
who's going to keep your messaging consistent and who's going to follow through and follow up and make sure that all the assets are there. Um, kind of that, that, that one person that's, that's only, that's their only job. Mm-hmm. And, when, and when you do look at, at, at a rep and you're looking to see what, what kind of contacts they have, is that something easy to get a hold of? Like how do you figure out which, which uh, you know, avenues, which uh, shows that they have been able to get their clients onto? Yeah, I think well, it's kind of a, a good question. I think it depends on what type of product you have, what your target market is looking at for for news or where they're going for information and and knowing those types of things before you reach out to a PR rep because mm-hmm. they have particular contacts in different in different fields and so I think it's kind of also dependent on on what your product is a little bit too Guys, so you're saying that you you should come into this search knowing where you want to be rather than just looking for a rep kind of blindly Definitely definitely Got it. And so you mentioned that uh, there are some things that you've been coached on so far about going into an interview. And I think that this is important because I think at some stage, most entrepreneurs will get a chance at at press. What are some key areas of focus that you try to make sure that are covered during an opportunity in the press? Right. It's definitely knowing what you want to get across to your potential consumer. And no matter what questions the the anchors or the person conducting the interview ask you is, is figuring out ways that you can still get your points across, even if they didn't ask you that exact question. Uh, so that's something that I think everyone can continue to learn how to hone that skill. And it can definitely be difficult at first. Yeah. It's like the skill of uh, being a politician, right? Making sure that you get your message across. That makes sense. (laughs) Now you mentioned uh, Shark Tank earlier and yes, so you you were on Shark Tank. um, And well, first tell tell us about that. How did you get on the show? So we were actually discovered on Kickstarter for our Shark Tank episode. And we went through the whole process and we're lucky enough to fly out to California and pitch to the sharks and, you know, came out with a deal. Yeah, and can you talk a little bit about the deal? I think you you ended up getting a deal from Mark Cuban. Is that correct? We did. He is a twenty percent equity investor. That's awesome. Hey, what's the experience been like working with him? Do you get to work with him closely? You work with his team. What is the process like when you do get to to do a deal with a, a shark like Mark? Right. Yeah. When you have Mark on your team, you also get a, a whole team of individuals that. that specialize in different areas of the business. So there's people that can help out with accounting and marketing. And we've really leaned on them for a lot of marketing help. Um, they've helped us with our website in certain areas and, and social media. And then I think one of the the greatest things about having Mark as an investor is, is his desire to help military families and veteran owned businesses. Mm-hmm. And so he, he has, three or four key veteran owned companies that we really have grown close with and, and collaborate a lot with and learn from each other. And I think that's one of the, been one of the most rewarding business relationships we, we could have. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense where when you do start to take an investment from someone, whether it be as big as, Mar- as someone like Mark Cuban or a smaller investor, knowing where else they've invested, those are also doors or opportunities to to work with those uh, companies that they've worked with, especially if they're in the same industry as you. And luckily for, for, for your company, you have you know four companies that are in the same industry. So I'm sure there's lots of opportunities to, to cross-promote. Yeah, yeah I think that amazing thing about veteran companies is it's very collaborative. Mm-hmm. And so bottle breacher combat flip-flops, we all talk quite a bit and share, share success mm-hmm. stories also warn where maybe they've learned what not to do. So I think it's, it's a really great thing to build those relationships. Um, even if they're not in your industry, just right. related in some way. Definitely. Sometimes the best uh, advice comes from outside the industry because no one else in your industry is focused on or has seen it from that perspective. So I think you should certainly, you know, tap any resource you have in other in other industries. Um, so you mentioned that the, the team, Mark Cuban's team, helped you with uh, with the website. Can you say a little bit more about that? Like, what were some changes that you know, whether they be big or large, that that they recommended you do for for your site? I think the, the big things that they helped with were was prepping for our Shark Tank airing, um, just making sure that everything was tested and, and bulletproof. Uh, one of the best things we did early on was actually get on the Shopify platform. Back in 2011, literally one of the first things we did was was start our Shopify website. And we've probably been through like 10 different themes at that point, at this point. But um, it's it's still the same same website from when we first started. And then all these different events that bring quite a bit of traffic that have come to our Shopify site, we've had no problems with. So it was definitely one of the best things we did early on was, was start a Shopify site. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned a bunch of different redesigns. Uh, can you say a little more about that? Like what, what, what's your approach when, when the both of you, when your team sit down and decide to redesign the website, what do you focus on, on trying to achieve? Well, there's, there's a lot that goes into that. Um, that's, mm-hmm. that's a big question from customer and user experience to, you know, mobile optimization to being able to visually merchandise your stuff. So I think the last redesign that we did, we partnered with a great company who was also specialized in, in Shopify. And we wanted to make sure that our website was easily understood by our customers from ages 20 to 65 and that it was mobily optimized because that's a huge one now i think 70 percent of our traffic is is mobile Mm -hmm. so that's huge um so it's something that authentically reflects the brand but is is also easily understood Mm -hmm. yeah some of the big changes that we've made are the navigation bars we just we wanted it to be our products to be more easily searched. So that was a big overhaul was the navigation. Uh, we also moved to Shopify plus and I feel like that's been a really good move for us. Just the consistent user experience from browsing all the way through the chart cart checkout um, with the, with the plus platform has been really nice where you don't get redirected um, mm. checkout. So, right. And so one of the, the key uh, decisions that you made was to design the site so that is understood by what I was sounding like your, your target demographic. How do you determine, how do you, uh, I guess, measure that? How do you know that if your site, the copy, the images are speaking to your target customers, uh, you know, well enough? Well, yeah, I, I think that's something you kind of learn throughout years of business and, and seeing trends. Uh, we, we really try to make sure that 
our product can resonate with with as diverse of people as, as possible. Um, but it is really important to know when and where your customers are searching and how they search and optimizing your website for that. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So a couple other things I've noticed about this site that, that I really like that I want to talk about. Um, the first thing I see here uh, towards towards about the, the bottom is a shop or Instagram uh, kind of feed. Can, can you uh, explain what, what this is? Like what's the application used for and how does it work? Yeah, it's actually through a integration that we have with Yapo. So Yapo is a Shopify app or it integrates with Shopify and helps with your customer reviews. And that's been really helpful because we're predominantly an online or e-commerce. So people are coming online to shop our products. And for us, for Cameron and I, that was one of the big things we wanted to implement because we also look at customer reviews a lot when we're shopping online. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to give our, our customers the opportunity to know what our customers are saying. And the first weekend that I turned, turned it on, we had, 400 reviews and I read every single one of them and I was just absolutely blown away with the the comments from how much the company meant to them from a military aspect all the way over to the quality of the product. And so it was it was neat for me as a business owner as well to that has is not answering customer emails anymore although that was one of the many hats I wore in the past to be able to just really see what the customers were thinking and and about your products. It was, it was a really cool thing. So Yapo has that, that shop to Instagram integration down at the bottom of our website. And we, we've really enjoyed that. Yeah. I see that the reviews that are scrolling through here, um, when you, well, can you, for anyone out there that hasn't used the Yapo application, it, you know, it's clearly related to reviews. Can you explain more about how the, the entire Yapo system works to help you with the reviews? Yes, yes. And you could probably reach out to them. They'll probably do a much better job of this and I might totally botch it. But um, it's a great review system where they they have a very specific way of, of ensuring that customers review your product. And so they send out a, a specific email and you can you can leverage the customer by giving out coupon codes for either A, re- reviewing or sharing. And so you can incentivize your customers for for giving that review in a really easy and integrated way, we've really we've really enjoyed Yapo. Mm-hmm. So the, the when for for your uh, actual for your setup of of the encouraging reviews, do you look to to give discount codes, uh, gift cards, or what's the approach that has helped the most to to uh, you know give people that little extra push to come write a review? Right. Yeah, we definitely leverage by giving a review for giving or excuse me, a coupon for giving a review. It's, it's something extra that the customer has to do and they don't have to do that. So we want to offer something to come back to, to our website and, and enjoy being able to tell what they think about, about our products. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great way. And then also an additional discount on top of that for sharing. Also, oh, you offer both a discount for we the review offer. and then another one for sharing. What, what's the, the, like the number, I guess the percentage discount that you found it works? It was ten and fifteen percent. Okay, so definitely not not insignificant. That's that's pretty uh, definitely a motivating amount of a of a break for someone to to write a review and to share it. Um, for sure. Yeah. So also saw that uh, or heard you mentioned that social media was also another area of focus for the 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 team behind Mark Cuban to help you with. What are some of the the changes that they they came? Or what what kind of advice did they did they offer in that in that area? 
Well, they have an individual that helps with Facebook um, paid paid ads, and so that's been really helpful because when when you're a small company, you it's difficult to hire a full time people that know all these different aspects, and so it's nice to be able to to leverage the Mark Cuban companies to be able to do some of that for our small team. Um, they also also helped us with Instagram and becoming verified. It's it's been a a good relationship. Mm-hmm. And on on Instagram or on these social platforms, other than the the paid ads, what kind of what is the strategy there? Like what kind of content are you putting out? So it depends on the campaign, and then we also have ads that that we call evergreen ads. They're just kind of like the the ads that can be shown all throughout the year, and and the customer we can kind of put them in between are more larger, big campaigns. So that's kind of the, the cadence that we follow with the, with both Facebook and Google ads. Got it. Now, when you, when you mentioned these evergreen ads, like how are they uh, different than the more, I guess, seasonal or more, uh, I guess, uh, uh, see, I guess, seasonal ads that you run? Yeah. The, well, I'd say that our evergreen ads are more about our story and, and educating the, the customer on how the products are made. Because um, without that type of education, no one would know that up to 12 military spouses go into making the product or that our river has helped over 100 military spouses this year. Mm-hmm. And basically, when you when you think about uh, you know creating a targeted or more specific campaign, how do you determine what kind of uh, campaign essentially to, to design? Right. Well, it kind of depends on what's going on. So if, if we're going on Fox and Friends, we'll, we'll do an A-B test ad enjoy watching uh fox network so there's just or if we're doing something geographically we will target people in different areas and then we'll we'll see the results from that and learn from that for the next campaign that we do Got it. Makes sense. So now that you have a, a team of you know thirty employees, and you said 30, 40 contractors, how do you, how do the both of you spend your days? How do you what do you like to focus on uh, during your work days? Mm-hmm. Well, we we basically split the company uh, with in kind of two directions. Cameron takes operation product development, I take sales, marketing, finance, and IT, and it's. A, a combination of making sure that we keep our team members and departments all talking and in sync. And I spend most of my time on the phone on Zoom all day long. Mm. <laughs> and then I think the beautiful thing about Zoom is, you know, when someone's in a meeting and when they're not. And so I think a lot of people just sit and watch for my bubble to be green. <laughs> and so, jump on it. And jump on it. <laughs> and that's how I never eat lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Now, when it comes to product development, it sounds like uh, the team is constantly working on the next iteration, next product lines. What's that process like? How, how does a, how does a, a product go from idea generation to actually being available for sale? So it, it starts with customer listening and social listening. So we have to understand exactly what the, op- the next opportunity for our riveter is. And then we get together as a team and decide what version of that we want to put out into the world. And then we, I have a team in North Carolina that just prototypes after prototypes and tons of iterations and edits and coming back to the drawing board every time we get together and decide we, we like this about that product or we don't. And from once you get a finalized design with a tech pack and specs at that point is that's where the hard part is because we have to push it out to all of our remote riveters who then need to 
be able to master those skills. And then it goes from the remote riveters all the way into our assembly um, production production line. So there's a ton of training that happens in North Carolina, um, just getting everybody on the same page. And so once you have produced that product, then we have to tell sales, marketing, and finance and kind of re-update re everybody on what we what we have now, um, because I can make the best product in the world, but if our team doesn't know how to pitch it or answer questions about it or understand it themselves, then it's not going to go very far and our customers might be disappointed. So it's just a big, um, you know, it's a big, big project, but it's, it's very exciting and it's what I love to do. Yeah, that is a good point that that creating a, a great product can only take you so far. That handoff to the marketing and sales uh, teams and their functions is vital to making sure that it succeeds and it launches successfully. So what's that launch process like once a product is well into the into development and ready to 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 go to to manufacture and go into the production mode? Uh, how does it get handed hand off to to the marketing and sales team? So first things first, they all get product. Um, we've kind of started this system where everybody on the marketing, sales, and customer service team will get the product themselves so they can get hands-on and use it and um, understand it to its fullest extent. And then from there, they'll decide whether or not they're going to do some sort of PR stunts or, you know, Early on, we decided what the opportunity was, which means you've decided what the target market for this product is. How are we going to style it? How are we going to merchandise it? Is it something that's just going to run through a holiday season or is it now part of our permanent collection? So there's a lot that drives that conversation. But as soon as we know all of those different questions, they can start to make smart decisions on the marketing side. Um, it also gets pushed out to our network of brand ambassadors who are huge part of our marketing department. And the, these brand ambassadors, they, they are customers or how, how did you get in touch with, or how did you build a team of brand ambassadors? We actually did a brand ambassador search. So we put it out on social and said, anyone that's interested in being a brand ambassador, send, send in a request and, and tell us more about yourself and what this brand means to you. So we, we picked a, a group of individuals that truly, truly understand and care about growing the brand. And it's been a, a phenomenal relationship and it's kind of a community within a community. It's, it's really fun to see, to see those individuals now getting together in cities and taking pictures. And it, it's a really fun thing to see. And do you look for, for coverage in the sense that you try to look for somebody in every major city or what's the, the approach towards um, building out a team of brand ambassadors? Right. Well, I think it's a little bit of that. You know, we like to have content. A big part of brand ambassadors is them creating the content for you for, for your social and, and other marketing aspects. And so it's getting photography and, and assets from all across the country so that we don't just have one look to our company and our customer can then understand and all, all different customers can resonate with the brand. And so that was a big part of it. Also just their kind of what they told us was important to them about the brand from the military spouse aspect to empowering women, American made the high quality aspect of our, of our products. I think each one of them kind of has, a unique look at the company and, and what's most important to them. 
So obviously these folks are all very passionate about the cause, very passionate about, about the business. Are they getting free products or what's the relationship there? Are they getting the free, free products and they're responsible for creating content around it? Or is there more uh, to, to, to that range of what, what, how do you usually, I guess, uh, create a um, incentive program for, for brand ambassadors? Yeah, they, there's a product incentive, and um, I think a big part of it is is being part of the community too. I think it's not just a traditional brand ambassador program that they, they really are getting together and collaborating, and I think that they're really having a good time with it. Um, and I think also being able for us to post on our website and and take their social, it helps grow their their following as well. So it's it's a mutually a mutually beneficial for both for both parties. How does this organize? So, so you, there's a new product that's coming out, or there's a product that you want to uh, put some push behind. You're you're sending some email or something to all the brand ambassadors, or how do you keep all of this organized? Essentially, yeah, they do. My marketing team does an amazing job with it. They they plan everything month a month month two months out in advance, and and have themes for that month, and hand that out to the the brand ambassadors. So we have consistent themes and and content. And so they've done a phenomenal job building that out and, and staying and sticking to it. Very cool. So rriveter.com, R-R-I-V-E-T-E-R.com. Where do you want to see the business go next? We're going to take over the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're just going to keep growing the network and we're going to keep growing it one remote Riveter at a time, one team member at a time one bag at a time. I think that if you get out of your own way and stop overthinking your progress, mm-hmm. you know, and just keep putting one foot in front of the next, I know over the last five or six years, we've been able to do that and just look up and see how far we've come. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just a slow and steady progression of what we're already doing. Right. And it's just interesting. I think we, Cameron and I have both said throughout the years of, of growing this company that when we start to f- felt comfortable in what we were doing, we both, knew looking back that it was an area where we were getting sleepy and we needed to mm. push on and, and grow the company in a different way or, or get back out there in our own learning as a business owner. So I think that's, that's one thing that I can say to entrepreneurs is, is continue to learn, continue to push and, um, and don't get, don't get too comfortable. Yeah, I think I think you both hit the nail on the head. There's no secret to it that that persistence and that self awareness can take you very far. Obviously, it's done amazing things for for you and the your team. So, thank you so much, Cameron and Lisa, for coming on and sharing your story. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. Here's a sneak peek for what's in store in the next Shopify Masters episode. I think uh, with the older demographic, I think building rapport is really important. Maybe opening up a booth at a farmer's market and inviting people in to come and talk. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial. Also, for this episode's show notes, head over to shopify.com slash blog.